Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Power blackouts. They happen every year. But guess what, blackouts? You've met your match. Say hello to Goal Zero, the leader in affordable home power backup systems and solar generators. Goal Zero's generators power your fridge, freezer, lights, Wi-Fi, TV, and more with clean power. Their home backup systems, like the Yeti 3000X, have no fuel, no fumes, no noise, and no maintenance. Just good, clean energy that keeps your home up and running. They offer a range of products and affordable price points, from power stations that can provide a half day's worth of power, to solar generators and home backup systems that can keep you powered for one, two, or three days. Plus, they're all portable, so you can take your power with you when you go camping, tailgating, and more. So yeah, take that, blackouts. Our power is here to stay. Have peace of mind when blackouts hit. Go to GoalZero.com to learn more. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, November Sweeps is upon us, and the shows have a lot of powerful tales in store. So we have to start with Days of Our Lives, which has a huge, never-been-done-before-in-daytime twist planned for its November 8th episode, which is also the show's 54th anniversary. That is going to be a definite tune-in for everyone. Now, prior to that, there is definitely a build to some drama at Lonnie and Eli's wedding. Uh, Nicole is going to make a decision about the information she's keeping about Sarah being pregnant with Eric's baby. And Jennifer's quest to uncover what Rolf is doing will have far-reaching effects on Hope, who is now Princess Gina. Um, And also, uh, fans should tune in on October 31st because there is a very special Halloween episode planned again. Uh, YNR also has big plans for Halloween, so don't miss that either. And as far as November, a big secret about Dina is going to come to light, which will cause some chaos in the Abbott Mansion. Uh, Phyllis will make a big power play. Paul will be called into duty when a dangerous situation puts the residents of Genoa City in danger. And I think people will be excited to see more stuff for Doug Davidson. And also Victor and Nikki are going to have to work to repair the damage that Adam's return has done to the Newmans. Meanwhile, over on B&B, Brooke forces Ridge to choose between her and his son, leading to a painful decision from Ridge, while Hope is determined to use Thomas's love for her to get Douglas away from him. And finally, on GH, Anna returns at last. Yay. uh, Marking the end of Finola Hughes' hiatus. Uh, A major reveal about Mikos's will has big consequences across the canvas. Mm. And Halloween will be a 
big kicking off point in that story as well. So that's like another tune in for GH. Um, big holiday across the soaps this year. Yeah, right. Um, Peter has to tap dance to stay one step ahead of Sam and Jason. And the truth about Wiley's parentage is going to ramp up into high gear with the possibility that Brad will finally break and tell the truth. So there is some pretty good stuff planned. I'm pretty psyched. Yeah, it's 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 going to be like a big month. As much as like they don't do traditional sweeps months anymore, this one has like that old school feel. Oh, absolutely. Now there was a big casting announcement since our last podcast. Daniel Goddard revealed that he is out as Young and Restless's Kane. Now, so Daniel joined YNR in 2006. He first aired in January of 2007. And you may remember he left briefly in 2011. And there was mm-hmm. such fan outrage that they hired a plane to fly over the YNR studio with a banner imploring the show to bring him back. And they did. Um, but, you know, Crystal Khalil, his longtime love interest on the show, announced that she was leaving earlier this year. So they didn't really have a lot of story for Kane once Lily was off the canvas. And, you know, there was that brief tale with Tracy where she was writing that novel and like that 40s throwback mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you know, Kane has really had little to do until this recent story with Catherine's will. Yeah, it's tough news, obviously, for his fans. And I'm sure that the Lane fans will be pulling for Kane and Lily to mm-hmm. be granted, like, an off-screen happily ever after in light of this news. <clears throat> now, we'd recently had a thumbs down in the magazine about how much Kane had been sidelined. And he is a popular character who had really become a significant part of the canvas over the past 13 years. However, I, you know, I do think a lot of times on soaps, a character's narrative viability is directly related to their ability to be in a romance. Yeah. And there was not an obvious love interest for him on the canvas with Lily gone, um, particularly when you factor in how tough it was for a lot of viewers to imagine him with anyone but Lily. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a phenomenon we see a lot in soaps that when one half of a popular couple exits, the question of where to go with the character left behind can often present a real challenge. Um I feel like this has been almost like a textbook case of that uh, with Kane, which is unfortunate. And, you know, they were just so popular. I think that's part of it, too. It's like you can have a pairing, and even if it lasts a few years, you know, might not be like, okay, we can't see that person with anyone else. But I feel like with Kane and Lily, like any time they were apart, there was such an audience. Yeah, there like, was a backlash. Pull yeah. for them to come back together. Yeah, absolutely. So the other uh, big news this week, sadly, is the real-life passing of original Days star John Clark, who played Mickey from the show's pilot episode in 1965 until his retirement in 2004. And Steph, you spoke with some of his castmates for a tribute that we'll have in an upcoming issue. Yeah, I talked to both Suzanne Rogers and Deidre Hall. Um, Now, Suzanne worked with him so closely over the years as Maggie to his Mickey And, you know, she really couldn't stress enough to me how kind he was to her and how he would always calm her on set whenever she got nervous. And, you know, really, he was just such a rock for her in the beginning of her day's run and, you know, throughout the years that they worked together. Um, You know, as for Deidre, I mean, Marlena was introduced in 1976 through Mickey's story. You know, she was his psychiatrist when he was in the sanitarium. And, you know, she just said he was such a professional and so generous and supportive, and ultimately she just called him iconic. And, you know, I found an interview I had done with him years ago where he admitted that he really wasn't that excited to do days when his agent first approached him with the job. You know, at that point, he had done a lot of Westerns and some small roles in some big films like Judgment at Nuremberg, but he ultimately said yes, 
and like thought he'd be there for a year. <laughs> and you know, what kept him there for 39 years was really how great the Corday family was to him and how close he felt to McDonald Carey, who played his father Tom, and Francis Reed, who played his mother Alice, and the rest of the Horton family. You know, he said that that family became like an extension of reality and it didn't even feel like acting anymore. Uh, well, our condolences go out to his family, including his daughter, Melinda, who is probably best known uh, as Julie Cooper on The O.C., but We Days fans remember as Faith from 1989 to 1990. I remember when she was cast, like, reading about it in Soap Opera Digest <laughs> and just thinking it was, like, the coolest thing in the world that Mickey's real daughter was going to be on the show. Oh, me too. I mean, what a great moment for both of them to have been able to work together like that. Um, well, our guest today is going to be key in one of those November sweep storylines we just talked about. It's Parry Shen, who plays Brad on General Hospital and is knee-deep in some baby switch drama. So let's get him on the phone to talk about it. Hi, Parry. Hey there. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, we are so excited to talk to you. There is so much going on with your story right now, but... Let's go back to the beginning when you made your GH debut on May 3rd, 2013. Um, first of all, mm-hmm. tell us your casting story. Uh, let's see. It was just an audition and, and to see, go straight to producers. So, and the description was something like, uh, Brad is a lab tech that doesn't play by the rules. And that was, that was it, basically. And he said, possibly recurring. So that kind of basically usually means uh, if you don't suck, you'll stay on. But if, <laughs> if they, they have a, they have an exit strategy, you know. So it's like possibly we didn't say he was. So uh, so basically, I was like, okay, this could be you know something good. But yeah, I went in there and um, had this. The, the audition sides were basically Brad was flirting with somebody, uh, a doctor saying, hey. Uh, if you, you know, if you show me a little love on the side, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll switch these results in your favor. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, so I, I, I thought I assumed it was a female doctor. So I was like, you know, trying to be, you know, this tough guy saying, you know, and lowered my voice, voice like an octave, you know, to not be the boy next door type guy and, and be like the, you know, the, the dangerous guy and who's, you know, had, had a you know basically questionable moral um, background and, and just to kind of get his way and and um, yeah and and then next thing I know I did the Frank was in the room with um, with a couple other casting associates uh, along with Mark Teschner and um, I think I heard on the drive home that they said hey yeah he did a great job um, he can even be sleazier so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, okay. <laughs> so wait, can we get a treat for our ears? Like, what does an octave lower you being sleazy sound like? Oh, it's kind of more like the Batman octave. You know, <laughs> just a little bit smoother, not as high, and he's calm and collected. So it was like that. All right. So uh, when did you get the sense that, okay, this actually may be recurring? You know, as opposed to that um, short little arc. I, I basically, I would say the first, the first, um, first probably six months, I treated every episode as my last, you know, uh, just cause I, I, 
the longest I had ever been on a show was three episodes. So I was like, this is going to end at any time. All I, all I can do, the only thing that I, have, that I have going for me is that there's no set end point. Like it, when I would be on a show, the character was scheduled to die on this episode, right? Or, or you know, um, there was always a finite end point. But this, the, the ending was always open. You know, he was part of the canon of this hospital. So I said, as long as I, I just try to do something that's interesting that they don't have, because... Uh, I was I was recurring on NCIS LA, um, but it didn't again didn't go beyond the three episodes because it, it was very similar to kind of what they already had. So I said, okay, I just got to do something. I just got to be something different than than what they have. And uh, so I just I just uh, by the time you know after the six months, I said, huh, maybe you know I think then they started writing in um, that he was the grandson of you know the 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 asian quarter storyline from the 80s mm-hmm. i was like oh wow they're, they're writing me into canon you know i was like this this could be this could be pretty cool so yeah that's what kind of when i was like okay maybe i might be here a little bit longer and also when i they stopped they stopped up uh, because every time because i was so like they didn't know how long i was staying um they really they didn't have shoes for my character so <laughs> they told me to bring my own shoes so every time I would get like a ten dollar bump for wearing my own wardrobe, and after like thirty episodes, they're like, "Hmm, maybe we should buy you some shoes for your character." And that's when I kind of like, "Oh, I might be here longer." <laughs> <laughs> the shoes—that was the point. <laughs> yeah, pretty much the shoes. Yeah, the the wardrobe was kind of the the, the thing I, I think for me. That's amazing. Um, now, in the beginning, there really was such a great friendship that we saw between Brad and Britt, as played by Kelly Tebod. Um, you know, what are your memories of working with her? That we just sort of clicked, um, not necessarily as as um, as a on a personal level, but just like our characters seem to be like on the same vibe, and I. We sort of found that, I think, when things were going bad for both of us, and then we started, uh, our characters started opening up with each other, and like, we, I don't have anybody, you don't have anybody, we're kind of, you know, just just friends because of, you know, this, this miserable situation, and then out of that became like this um, interesting dynamic that, again, wasn't on the page on, on, on General Hospital, and I think even Ron Calavati, um, the writer then, that it was just like a really happy accident that these two people who were schemers, uh, an uh, uh, unexpected relationship and friendship came out of it. And uh, he said, you know, when she left, that you know, it would it was definitely something that would be sorely missed, you know, um, on on the show. I did love me some Brad and some Britch, and I'm glad that they reunited that one nurse's ball to make fun of everyone's uh, outfits on the red carpet. Yes, yes, <laughs> that was great. So Brad has broken some some new ground on the show over the years. He was in the first gay love triangle in GH history um, mm-hmm. alongside Lucas and Felix. And obviously Lucas won. Um, was it like a welcome surprise for you that, you know, we saw Brad actually fall in love and that bring out like the best in him? And I, I, I would argue we almost didn't know that he had any good qualities deep down. Right. Yeah. And, and, and again, that again, surprised me because usually when something like that, I'm always kind of get the, the other end of the, of the, of that storyline where it's like, okay, you're the one that's going to lose out, you know? And, um, uh, so it, 
to know, think that Brad and Lucas were ended up to be together, I was like, wow, okay, now we're, we get to go deeper into this this um, backstory and relationship. And uh, so that was just amazing and, and foreign t- kind of territory uh, to, to be able to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, Lucas and Brad have been married since 2016. Um, tell us about your on and off screen relationship with Ryan Carnes. Um, it's interesting because there's something that just happened recently that we were texting and, and, Oh, I know what it was. Uh, he, he's, he's like, uh, I remember he, um, he was about to, to, to go off to get breakfast with, uh, Will DeVry. Um, and then I knew though on the schedule that our blocking rehearsal was about to come up soon. So I, I heard Will say, Hey Ryan, come, you know, let's get some, let's get some food real quick. You know, and I texted Ryan. I said, "Don't go. We're about to go up." And he goes, "Thanks, honey." Like, <laughs> he, like we're like a couple. Like he's like, we are like a couple watching out for each other. Uh, so yeah, it's it's. I was looking at some of the old episodes that we've done, and I was like, "Wow, we've been doing this." He's definitely my longest acting partner on on a regular basis. I mean, it's been you know almost like six years now um, because it was sort of the end of 2013 where where, uh, they first met. And uh, yeah, so it's it's come to a point where we've been working so long together and know each other's, um, the way we we work, that now it's it's very tight where it's like we, we used to, when we first, because we got our characters kind of got thrown together, you know, in that that hookup, you know. So it's kind of like, wow, we have to get to know each other very quickly, very, you know, and, and to have this bond. So we would rehearse um, with the days that we were off together, you know, for hours, just to make sure we had down pat when it came time to tape. And now we we still rehearse, but it's like it's 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 like we know that we're going to be okay. Uh, because mm-hmm. we we worked so well together and for so long. That's awesome. So after they got married, there was like a period of time where Lucas and Brad like kind of disappeared. Um, mm-hmm. When that happened, I know the fans were very aware of it. <laughs> were, did you feel mm-hmm. like what's going on here? Like, did you ever think that you would find yourself back on the show and in the major storyline that you're in now? No, um, I, I I definitely thought that I was. I mean, I, I could kind of see the the writing on the wall. Um, I, I could tell there's certain telltale signs that. Um, Did they you take know, your shoes away? You, <laughs> you take your shoes? Yeah, they're like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, where did they go? I'm like, why does that actor have my shoes now? Um, and the name Brad is crossed out. <laughs> um, I mean, I am very meticulous with keeping track of my episodes and <laughs> I have like a flow chart of spi- well, you know how, how many times I've appeared it spikes I'm like okay it's it's starting to spike up again again you know <laughs> it's kind of like the stock market and, and uh, I was I was like okay well now it's full on into they have they're rolling with this adoption and now with Nell and the switch and it's like and then with Willow being introduced being the um the, the mother that was um, the mother of the the adopted baby that that died, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's just like before 
before when 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 Kelly left, I I saw the writing on the wall. I was like, okay, I have no one else to latch onto. You know, I have no besides um, besides Lucas, the Lucas character, and um, and I had like no family. I was like, okay, there's less and less of of ties that I have on the page, and so but now um, it's kind of cool because I get to. Then you know. Then with the whole thing, then I need a someone to, a, a sounding board because I don't have um, Brit there anymore. Julian became that for a while, so we had this relationship and dynamic and going back and forth, and then us getting in on the outs and arguing. And it's like there's, it's been great being able to interact with just one character, um, and it just ha- gives me more, you know, things to play with. Mm-hmm. Um. So let's talk more about the baby swap. So when you first found out that Brad was going to pass off Nell and Michael's son as his own, did you ever imagine that it would still be a secret over a year later? Uh, I, I hoped it would be for a while, um, just to be able to have, um, some interaction, long-term interaction as a family, um, and, and trying to, uh, not to have it so quickly over because I mean, again, I was coming out of being in hibernation for nine months, you know, so I was like, I was ready to keep going with this and, and see how far we could take it and, and all the um, the blowback that would happen, um, and that takes time. Now, how do you, <laughs> as his portrayer, justify Brad lying to Lucas? It's basically just wanting uh, something so much and not wanting to let go and trying to keep things in control and, and juggling things. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's just wanting something so bad for for the good of, you know, of, of their relationship that they've wanted that, uh, he, he thinks that, uh, I mean, initially it's, it's to, to protect, you know, what they, they have, but as it gets worse and more time has gone by, it just, it gets harder and harder, um, because it gets worse and worse. Um, it, it's just like, it's, it's like if you, it, it's very different level, but like when you, if you, you, you're introduced to someone and you forget their name and you've interacted with them for like months and you still don't know their name at that point, it's like, oh my gosh, we just got to keep going with it. Because um, it's going to be so, I mean, it's very I've totally had that happen analogy. to me. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, but definitely different analogy, but I mean, it's, it's, it's intensified with, with, with higher stakes, obviously, um, where it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I've kept this for so long. If I tell now, it's it's like, or, or you know, it's like maybe I can get still get away with it. And if I if I do this and spin this, and it just keeps obviously getting worse, and and lies covering uh, upon lies, and more people are affected in this stratosphere of of of, of you know people like Willow being pulled into this. Uh, you know, uh, it's just it's just um, it just gets unmanageable and and then when you take a step back it's like oh my gosh this is a huge mess when it just started out as something small you know you know they say when babies are born by the side of the road don't take them home i don't know why he missed that day at school um yeah didn't get that memo (laughs) um but i I feel like with brad we're watching just like the slowest burn of (laughs) self-destruction that you know replete with uh stomach issues for the poor guy um right it's a it's a big old mess but on the brighter side you do get to work with these adorable little boys who play Wiley, Theo and Eric. Uh mm-hmm. tell us about uh working with the two of them. I've seen some very cute Instagram clips. 
Yes. Um, well, uh, Theo is he has a little little thing on, above his E, so it's Teo. Oh, Teo. Um, it's Teo. Yeah, it's Teo. But I mean, it's rarely printed that way, so it, so people won't know. But it's, it's Teo and Eric, and uh, they've been fantastic. I mean, they are. I mean, it's it's usually kind of a it's a scary kind of hit and miss thing with kids and with their different changing demeanors. But for the most part, they have always been just very chill and delightful and also, you know, are able to actually engage and participate sometimes. And, you know, like actually giving high fives during scenes or clapping or smiling or laughing at the right places. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is perfect. You know, it's as if they had planned it. Um, But it's just they're they're kind of it's it's you know a testament also to their their parents you know to being chill and and um and and knowing when to step in and what they need and to switch out babies when, when one just isn't having it you know so um it's been a it's been a fantastic experience and and everybody you know loves interacting with them not just us mhm um now, speaking of child actors, Mara mentioned to me that you're actually not the first member of your family to appear on a soap. Um, can you please share with our <laughs> listeners who the other soap stars in your family are? Um, I have uh, twin nephews who, when they were younger, looked very much like Teo and, and Eric. Uh, blonde hair, blue eyes. But they played, they were, work, they were working like crazy when they were... <laughs> Um, less than a year old. They were um, boys on Passions and girls on Bold and Beautiful, I believe. Um, so, yeah, they were, um, I, I can't remember the, the names, but I think like on Passions, Teresa was their mom. And then, um, oh, and they basically are the, the they're on, they're on Bold and Beautiful, they were the Hope Logans. Oh, okay. I think. That's really yeah. so funny to me. It's just, it's cute. You couldn't go to them for tips uh, when you when you began? Yeah, well, no, I, I whispered <laughs> into their ear. I said, hey, enjoy it now. Let's see how you do, you know, 20 years from now. And make a career out of this, buddy. <laughs> you better save this for college because uh, you're going to spend it all on. That's <laughs> oh, so funny. Um, so uh, earlier this year, the stress that Brad was under keeping the secret led him to dabble with Dawn of Day. And I want mm-hmm. to hear your take on this because uh, certainly on Twitter, there were a lot of folks who felt like Brad would be like the first person to make fun of a culty self-help group and the last person to actually get mm-hmm. mixed up with one. Where do you stand Absolutely. on that? Yeah. And when, when it first happened and I saw it, I was like, Brad would be so onto this. And, um, and the, but the thing that um, I what was maybe, maybe not, focused too much upon, but it did happen was, um, because Sam was trying to, you know, infiltrate Donna Day. So she became a member, you know, as a sort of a a cover and, but Brad didn't, wasn't aware of that. So he knows that Sam is one of the most savvy and smart people and, 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 uh, and, and most cynical people more than more, more so than Brad. So that his guard was already down with her being in it. So he's like, okay, if she's already vetted it, it must be legit. And coupled upon that, Brad's defenses, he needed a sounding board. He needed someplace to get to talk to um, about some of the stuff, you know, not directly, but he just needed some sort of advice, life advice of how to handle 
um, his with things with his current situation. So uh, it's those two things that I think that that made him not as um, aware of what was really going on with Donna Day. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Obrecht has been one of the most consistent thorns in Brad's side. Uh, tell us what working mm-hmm. with Kathleen Gotti is like. Uh, Kathleen and I, I think, are, to me, she, she, she's kind of like, I feel like we're, we're kindred spirits uh, when we're just working on the show, just because we're, we sort of came on around the same time. Our characters are, are kind of similar in, in kind of the things that we get into, <laughs> and, um, and the fact that we're just, we're also not on contract, so we're always like, we're, we, always, we always felt like any time you know, we could, it, it could end because it was, our characters were so different. We're like, do we have a, 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 a space here? Do they like what we're doing? Um, so we would always talk about that kind of stuff. And then, um, and but then when we get to work together, it's just so much fun because when those two worlds collide, uh, uh, Brad and Obrecht, it's just, you know, from, I think it kind of culminated when we were, um, when she pushed Brad off of the parapet we had so much fun just working on that for so long, figuring out like, okay, um, you know, should, should, how should she push, you know? And then ultimately, uh, before it was just supposed to be like a straight push. And then it's like, wait, you know what? Maybe you should go away. So Brad takes a breather and like, okay, she's not going to push me over. And then you pop back in and then you push him over. <laughs> and it, just, it just worked. We just had to see it, but we tried many different versions of the push and um and just like yes that's what Obrick would do she would she would just you know pop in and Brad would be like okay it's all done and uh so yeah it's it's great when we get to when we get to work with her uh, work with each other uh so and it's 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 uh it's been great i mean we recently had um more scenes with you know me uh her learning the secret once she learned the secret I found out on, on Twitter, you know, because everyone was like, Obrecht knows the secret. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, Started doing your stretches to... to get pushed again. <laughs> exactly. I was like, oh, we are going to have a confrontation. I know it. And then when we did, and it was great. And, and then she, she, I mean, she pulls out that kiss where she kisses me, Brad, on the cheek. Uh, when she's like arguing and all of a sudden she kisses him and it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's just, like, bricked. did she do that in rehearsal or did she really surprise you on when you were taping? No, she, that what you saw was my reaction. I just <laughs> kind of held it together and, and reacted as Brad, like, and wiped it off, like gross, you know, <laughs> but, um, she, she, um, she just, she, she said, um, because we rehearsed it, and we were very close. I mean, she was talking like inches from me. So when we came to time, on, on the, when we were shooting it, she's like, when she kissed me, she's like, I'm sorry. After we called cuts, she said, I'm sorry. It just was, it felt right because it was, we were getting so close. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and then they're like, and usually I thought we were going to go again and to, to redo it, but then they're like, nope, we're keeping it. And we're like, yes. So it was a, a cool little victory. <laughs> That's awesome. Score one for creativity and spontaneity. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so Obrecht pushed Brad off the parapet in 2014. It took a long time for Brad to get mm-hmm. payback. But yes. <laughs> this summer, he got to push her over the side of the haunted star. But did you mm-hmm. even know when you shot those episodes that Brad would turn out to be the mystery pusher? Uh, I did. Okay. Um, 
I did, but uh, it was it was very it was very quick because it was because they never actually showed me actually doing it. Right. So I kind of had to like piece together, you know, and then and then um, um, and then uh, one of the directors confirmed like, yeah, you you do it because they knew what the storylines were coming that we were shooting like weeks down the road, and and um, that was actually really kind of um, tough to grasp for me because it was a it was a line that that Brad had never crossed before. So I had to like get into my head, like, okay, how and why, you know, could he get to this point of actually doing this, you know? And then ultimately it goes back to how, you know, he, he's been keeping this whole line. He's just, he, he, he's willing to do more and more things that he's normally um, hasn't done in, in the past just to keep this secret. And to the point where, you know, um, to me, it was kind of like, just like a quick, push where he didn't think that he was, she was going to die, you know? So that was, um, um, so, you know, um, so it wasn't necessarily like a, a black, you know, such a huge dramatic 180 turn, uh, where, whereas then later there's other scenes with Brad with the syringe when he's with her by herself while she's recovering in the bed. And he's kind of thinking, you know, um, you know, if I do this, I could end it now. And then he's still struggling with it. And then I think when it gets to Obrick actually confronting him, saying, I know that, that I, I, I know the secret. Um, that's when he is in a tailspin and just uh, asks for Julian's help into, into get rid of, getting rid of her. But still, I don't think he's actually thought this through like everything else. <laughs> uh, it's very impulsive. Um, not necessarily coming from like a, a a dastardly place, you know, a premeditated or anything like he that. He doesn't have like a vision board where like Obrecht's, you know, gravestone is is there and he's going to do whatever it takes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately it still is in line with who Brett is, but it's it's progressively getting worse because of the conditions that are placed in, in front of him that, you know, from that that he has created. Mm hmm. So you mentioned Julian. Um, you've been working a lot with William DeVry. How has that been? Uh, it's been it's been great because he is he brings a lot of physicality um, to it, which I I'm not um, I, I usually just don't don't do. You know, it's kind of like you know, kind of words are kind of my repertoire. Of, uh, but he he integrates a lot of physicality with, um, like we would, we would, uh, had that scene and he, um, there wasn't a, a choking, you know, uh, before, but he was able to work it in during rehearsal to make sure, you know, just kind of feel things out and make sure I was okay with it. And it's been great because it adds so much, uh, more of a dynamic, um, to, to, uh, underscore certain scenes. Uh, so that's been fantastic. Um, yeah, it got to, pretty intense to, between the two of you. Uh, or it yeah. has recently on screen. Yeah. My, my, my. Now, on the flip side, um, I thought you were absolutely hilarious uh, playing Brad's reaction to Nell being denied parole. You had to, like, cover your glee. <laughs> um, right. Now, the comic part of the character, how much of that is on the page and how much of that is you looking for places to inject humor it's it's both um i've i've noticed that if it's there it's usually because of something that they've noticed you know in the past 
that Brad has done. So they they like, oh, this is a good moment to add it in. And um, I love I love that uh, kind of stuff where you can add uh, humor, but doesn't detract, uh, but also makes sense within the the situation. And uh, my favorite things uh, are watching actors when when they're not talking, when they're in the background, and they're you know doing something that makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. not again, not drawing away attention, but makes sense. But it wasn't there, but. It, it, it makes sense within the situation that they're uh, adding a, an expression or eyebrow raise or something um, that's interesting besides just standing there and watching. And uh, so, yeah, there was it was. Um, it, it, I think it was written that um, he he realizes that he he shouldn't be excited, and so yeah, it's it's. Uh, but but again, it it sometimes I do stuff like that, and it gets. It's it's not the camera's not on me, or you know they're not knowing I'm doing that, so it's never there in the first place, or they cut away too quickly. So it's also a, a tribute, uh, a testament to the director and the camera people and the editor hanging on to that um, that angle, you mm-hmm. know, that's wide enough to to be able to 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 have that moment. So when when I do watch the shows, I'm like I I, I will look out for certain things. I'm like, oh, this could have been a cool moment. Let's see, did it actually air that way? And it's like, oh, yes, that's perfect. <laughs> you know? Do you, have you ever been known to fist pump when you watch the show and you see that that moment made it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty remarkable, but at this point, I'm pretty sure that Brad is easily the longest-running Asian-American character in Soaps. Is that wild? I was wondering it myself, but I didn't know whether that was true or not. <laughs> I, I yeah, we were we were having a little yeah. discussion about it before. But but uh, I, I I I'm I would say like whatever a sliver beneath 100 percent positive is, that's what I, that's where we are. Um, mm, okay. So it's it's pretty. That that's an amazing there, achievement. Um, somebody like uh, um, who plays something. I think her name is like Minet something. Yes, Charles, I think. First. Right. And she was on um, General Hospital as well, playing um, the OBGYN. But yes. I don't I don't think she's got it on you. Well, it would make you the longest running male then, even if that yeah, is the case. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, yeah. OK, there. <laughs> I got that. And, you know, what does that mean to you? And like, is that wild for you to even think about? Yeah, it's been it's 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 great. It's it's um I, I wish there were. I wish I w- I wasn't because that means there would been there would be more, <laughs> you know, Asian sure. Americans mm-hmm. uh, in this medium. But it's kind of cool to sort of be part of that, and hopefully uh, that that might change. You know, uh, someone who's who's starting out in the writing pool um, on a, on one of the, the shows, and then when it's their turn to be one of the decision makers. That they will, you know, if they if they enjoyed Brad, they're like, hey, let's get, you know, let's have something else, somebody else that that, you know, can. Um, so it's it's kind of that's kind of like my hope, you know, just to as a side benefit of of being on the show for so long, you know, to bring in other people as well. Because I remember seeing uh, I mean, I remember just seeing um, um when Kelsey Wang um, uh, came on, she was part of the Dawn of Day storyline. Um, as Daisy, and I remember seeing her first on set, and I was, I was just like, kind of like it's a regular day, and I see an Asian face, and I didn't realize 
how much it affected me. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are you doing here? <laughs> it was just, and then she, she also, you know, just, a, you know, there are no other Asian Americans, you know, um, um, besides a couple uh, who are on the crew, uh, but definitely, n- you know, hardly any, none of the actors. And so it's like when she saw me her first day, she, she just was like, oh, hi. And it's like, she hugged me. We, we had never met each other before, <laughs> you know? So it's just like, it's like kinship automatically. Okay. You know, I was like, okay, I gotta, I'm, I'm going to tell you how things are going to, you know, how things are run here. And, you know, we don't call action. We count down from five and, She's like, oh, my God, thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, she told me how much, like, your support meant to her on her first day, by the way. Oh. Um, And, you know, I was listening to your uh, interview with Stephen Bradford. And what you had to say, what you when you were speaking about how the superhero universes were created in a certain decade, you know, in a less diverse time. Right. Um, and yeah. how those universes that ha- have been like spun out of that are really kind of all kind of traced back to that uh, origin. That's how I feel mm-hmm. about diversity on soaps, by the way. That was like the corollary that I made in my head. Mm, I see. Yeah. Um, you know, that all these core families that kind of like trace back to the like 50s and 60s when there there was like pretty much only like white families on TV. I thought it was an right, interesting yeah. Um, connection. Yeah, no, definitely. I could see that. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. So I think before we let you go, we have to ask you the million-dollar question here, Perry. Do you think that there is any hope for Lucas and Brad once the truth comes out? I, in the immediate future, I do not see, just knowing who Lucas is, um, I I can't see him um, being able to, to... be with Brad, um, at all. And, um, and that might be an exploration into that chapter of their lives. Um, they can, you know, maybe down the road, you know, feelings will rekindle, but I think in terms of the immediate future, it's, it is just, it's just going to be too hard. And I think the audience wants to see that too for Brad to get his comeuppance that way mm-hmm. um, and for everything to kind of be right with the world, with, with Wiley. Um, and, and they've been waiting a long time, you know, so this, this is kind of, you know, maybe the payoff. Um, so, yeah. We shall see. Yeah. Well, we definitely look forward to those moments, and we thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to chat. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Perry Shen for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.